Welcome to episode 129 of the Women of the Military podcast. April is the month of the military child, and I'm starting off April with a children's author, Kathy Ann Alexander. She wrote a children's book from her daughter's experience of being a soldier's daughter called Maya the Soldier's Daughter. In 2017, Kathy deployed to Afghanistan and had her daughter stay with her sister in Canada. It was a hard year for both her daughter and her. They both grew through the experiences, and the book, Maya, the Soldier's Daughter, covers some of the challenges Maya faced in the year of being separated. But this interview doesn't just focus on her deployment, but instead covers many different aspects of her time in the military over the 23 years of service that continues today. Season 3 of the Women of the Military podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Kathy. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you for what you do. And thank you also for your service. Thank you. So let's start this interview off with why did you decide to join the military? So, you know what, Amanda, I would like to sit here and actually tell you that I have this great American story of being a patriot, of having family who served in the military, you know, maybe saying I have an uncle who served in Vietnam or father who served in Korea. But for me, my story is basically, I have to say, is basically the American dream story. I joined the military, honestly, just to have a roof over my head, literally. So I'm originally from the Caribbean island of Grenada. I moved here a couple of years prior to starting college and I had some family situations. So long story short, I was homeless. So when I got to college, I literally stayed on campus and that was my home the entire four years of college. And prior to starting college, I was working at JCPenney's and I met this woman who was very kind to me. And what she did was she allowed me to stay with her. She had a basement apartment and she allowed me to stay with her during the times that I was on break from school. So when the winter break, the Christmas break, when the university pretty much say, you got to go home, I ended up staying with her during that time period. And then the next, the last two years of college, I applied for what's called resident assistance, RA. And being an RA, you get your own apartment. So for those two years, I had my own apartment, so I didn't have to worry about having to rush, you know, to whole house. You know, I had options then. But then it was getting close to graduating college, and I didn't have a job. I didn't have a job lined up. I did an internship. And I said, well, maybe I'll get a job, but I wasn't quite sure. So what I did, Amanda, is that normally they have recruiters come. So when there's events on campus, they have recruiters come along. And I took one of the recruiters card after speaking with him as a backup plan, just in case, like I didn't get a job after graduating college. Sure enough, after graduating college, I didn't have a job. I didn't have an apartment of my own. So I went back to my friend's house and it was end up staying 
in her basement once I graduated. So graduated in May. So here comes June, July, August, September, still looking for a job. And that is when I decided, you know what? Let me just go pull out the recruiter's card. And so it started. I called the recruiter and I enlisted in the Army. I joined the Army as a specialist because I already had my college degree. So here I am, this specialist with a college degree, science degree, had a degree in meteorology. (laughs) I wanted to be a weather girl. And I enlisted in the United States Army. And that is how my military career started. Wow. That's a crazy story. I, I know, right? Were you already a citizen when you enlisted into the Army? And so this really good question. So no, I I came to the United States in 1989 as a permanent resident. My father lived in the U.S., so he sponsored me. And at that point, I was not a citizen. So I was told by the recruiter at that time, I found out later that was not quite true, but I was told that um, because I was not a citizen, I could not come in, uh, could not join the military as a commissioned officer. So I enlisted. Okay. So the reason you didn't look at being an officer was because the recruiter told you you had to be an American citizen? Yes, that's what he he told me. But like I said, later on, I found out that was not necessarily, I believe the recruiter had a quota to me, but um, I did become um, a naturalized citizen in 2001 after being in the military. Yeah, I think it's a little complicated, but when I did ROTC, there was a young man who wanted to become an officer and he was having trouble with his citizenship. But eventually he got a citizenship and became an officer. But he was doing ROTC with us while he was working through that process. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is. That kind of makes sense. I was going to ask, why did you enlist instead of become an officer? Now we know. <laughs> right. Yes. But you know what, Amanda, that's one of the one of the questions I've been asked over the years, too, because because I had the opportunity to now to be on both sides as an enlisted soldier and as an officer. I actually would not have done it um any other way. I really appreciate the fact that I was first an enlisted soldier so I can better understand the soldiers who I lead and guide as an officer. And I just got a better appreciation for all soldiers as opposed to just looking at you know, looking at the military from just the lens of an officer. I got to experience it from the side of an enlisted soldier, you know, for many years before coming becoming an officer. Yeah, I think it gives you a different depth and perception of, of the military by being both enlisted and being an officer. It's kind of like I'm a military spouse, but I'm a veteran, so I kind of have both sides. And so I can tell the story in a different way than someone who has never been in the military and is a military spouse. Exactly. And then for me, I get to really and understand the enlisted soldier a lot better, you know, in my perspective than um, commissioned officers, because I understand the job that they do because I've been there, done that, you know, type of concept. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. This week, we are talking to Kathy Ann to kick off the month of the military child. But she isn't the only military children's author I know. I met Graciela Tescanero Sato, the author of the award-winning Captain Mama picture book series, when she was on my podcast in episode 29. I love reading these books inspired by Graciela's Air Force Aviation Service to my boys because it opens up an opportunity to share my own military story. But my favorite memory was in 2019 when I brought a copy of her series debut, Goodnight Captain Mama, to both of my boys' classrooms on Veterans Day. I read the books to the children in the class. I also wore my uniform from my deployment and was able to take off the patches and share the story of my service. 
If you are a military mom, veteran, or a mom who wants to empower her children to learn about women in military service, I highly recommend both of Graciela's books. I'm excited for the upcoming third book in the series. I was one of the 225 people to support her recent micro-lending campaign via Kiva to make this next book happen. Get your copies of the Captain Mama books with embroidered patches directly from Graciela's publisher store. I'll provide a link in the show notes to my favorite package. You can also go to www.gracefullyglobal.com. Let's get back to the show. So you went to basic training and then AIT. What was that experience like? Oh boy, <laughs> that was experience. That, that was different. So right. So once I enlisted, I found out from the recruiter that I was going to be going to Fort Leonard, Missouri, which I found that was pretty much called Fort Lost in the Woods because it's way out in the middle of nowhere in Missouri. For me, it was different. And the reason why I say it was different because I didn't have anyone in the military. I literally knew no one in the military at that time. So there was no one I could have um, reached back to or reach out to and say, well, what would basic training be like? What would I have to do? What are some of the things? How do I get through basic training? So it, it was it was a little challenging in, in terms of being able to have someone in the face on a daily basis yelling at you. One of the challenges for me, one of the things that make it a little difficult for me was the fact that having a college degree and here I am being in basic training, after I enlisted in the tour, like family and friends, I got a little bit of pushback. And some of the people said to me that, wow, are you just doing that because you couldn't do anything else? The military is usually for people who drop out from high school or they can't find a job or do anything else. So when I got there and I actually saw the atmosphere and the whole drill sergeant concept, I really started to kind of doubt myself and, and pretty much say, well, maybe they were telling me the truth. So it was a little, you know, a little difficult from that perspective, because here I am with a college degree and a lot of the kids were younger than me and, you know, straight out of high school. So that was some of the challenge that I faced. Outside of that, in terms of the physical experience itself, you know, the push up, the sit ups, the run, I was always into, you know, into running and I did a lot of that. So that was easy for me. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It was just another, okay, another run, another set of push-ups on a daily basis. Part of the experience also is you had to engage with a lot of other people because you hear you're in this environment, in, in the barracks, staying in barracks with people from all over the country. That was a little difficult for me. But the reason why it was a little difficult for me because so back in the Caribbean growing up, I didn't grow up with my siblings. I grew up, was raised by my grandmother and an uncle and I had some cousins. So I didn't really have that whole concept of a large family and being in the whole social atmosphere and being able to be around a lot of people. So I was kind of like an introvert. So I always wanted my own space and it was very hard to have that in basic training because you're in an open bay, you go to the shower, there's 50 million girls in there. So that part of it was challenging. Overall, the experience was, um, was great. I, I, you know, I got to learn how to fire a weapon. Prior to basic training, I didn't touch a weapon. I could have been phantom the idea of touching an M16. So going to basic training, doing the whole nine weeks of training, coming out, being able to qualify, shoot a weapon, be able to go through the 
obstacle course, do the different training. That helped me. I utilized a lot of those skills today. So I think it was really overall, it was a great experience despite some of the fact, you know, despite some of the challenges I faced internally of why am I there? But overall, the the experience was great. That's awesome. So it was challenging, but then you stuck through it and it was good for you. And so you went to your first assignment and what was that like? After basic training, I went to AIT. So for some of the personnel, I guess, non-military who are not familiar with that. So after the basic training is basically where you become, you learn your soldiering skills. And AIT is basically where you learn the job itself. So, you know, in the civilian world where you have that nine to five. So once you leave the basic training, you have you have to go into, you know, a duty station and you have to be trained in a particular area. For me, the job that I took, I was a preventive medicine specialist. So that going to my because of that job, I was trained in uh, my AIT was in San Antonio, Texas. And one of the interesting things about that was the training was supposed to be 10 weeks, but I ended up being in San Antonio for six extra weeks. And uh, the reason for that is because once you graduate, the way it's set up is that the the, t- the start time for the schools and that always align with the graduation time from basic training. So by the time I got to San Antonio from basic training, the one cycle, the one class cycle already had started. So I had to wait six weeks before the next cycle started. And here's why I struggle with that a little bit, Amanda. So during that six weeks when you're waiting, it's not like you're on vacation, right? So you are doing extra duty. You were doing whatever the drill sergeant deemed was the job for the day. So it could, it ranged from being in detail at the dining facility, washing pots and pans, and it also ranged from cleaning the drill hall floors or any type of detail, latrine detail, any type of detail that was deemed necessary at the time. That is what I ended up doing for those six weeks before the actual class started. So not a vacation. <laughs> Exactly, not a vacation. But the overall training itself um, was great. Learn the skill of being a preventive medicine and what that entails. Being a preventive medicine, you learn about food service facilities. You learn about um, how to do inspections, foodborne, um, how to deal with foodborne illnesses, how to deal with waterborne illnesses. I did a lot of mosquito surveillance. I became an expert on mosquitoes. And well, one of the fun, I guess, the going jokes at AIT, being in that particular job, we walked around with the bug nets <laughs> as part of our rucksack, our bag. So a lot of the other kids would say, oh, there goes the bug catchers. <laughs> so yeah, so I was put for the bug catcher <laughs> during um, AIT, yes. That's funny. But you enjoyed it and you liked the job once you, once you got to do the training and weren't doing the details. Right. Once I learned the job. So it was, um, it was interesting. Once I, so once I left AIT, I ended up at um, Fort Drum, New York. So my contract was for four years. And it's an interesting story here that I would like to tell. So Fort Drum, New York is one of those places where a lot of soldiers do not like to be stationed at. So like about maybe a week prior to graduating AIT, the drill sergeant usually let the soldiers know where they're going to be stationed. And when the drill sergeant found out that I was going to Fort Drum, they made it a joke. So 
they came out to the drill floor. They said, oh, we have three soldiers that's going to be going on a nice vacation spot, a nice vacation um, location, upstate New York, where it's extremely cold. And sure enough, when I got to Fort Drum, that's exactly how it was. So, it, you know, Fort Drum is pretty much is about 20 minutes from the Canadian border. It's right outside a town called Kingston. And it's in a little town called Watertown where there's actually nothing <laughs> happening there. But yeah, so I spent four years there. I was in a field unit. I did a lot of training exercise. But I have to say, in all 23 years since I've been in the military, my four years stationed at Fort Drum was, I guess, the most enjoyable four years, the most groundbreaking, if I may say, in terms of being in the military and leadership building four years of my life. It gave me fortitude. Um, there was a family type of at the atmosphere at Fort Drum and leaders that were above me, the sergeants who were in charge at that time, I have to say they have been some of the best leaders that have encountered in the military. So I will definitely, um, if I had to relieve that experience again, I'll definitely, definitely do that. That's really good. The first base we were at was a tiny town in New Mexico, and we had such good friends there. And like, there wasn't really much to do. There was a Chili's and an Applebee's and a Walmart, and that was pretty much it. And I loved being stationed there because there was such a good community within the people on base. And it's one of my favorite assignments, even though it wasn't like the best place to live, but it was a great place to be, especially as a lieutenant. Right. Well, you know what? Actually, I will have to share that sentiment also, Amanda, because even though that it was really cold, because we spent a lot of, you know, and I will share with you some of the, I guess, the training experience. But there was a lot. There was that um, atmosphere of creating that family. Um, one of the things we have, so I was a sol single soldier at the time. I lived in the barracks. One of the programs that they had, which was part of the morale, welfare and recreation, the MWR program, was the BOSS program, which is the better opportunities for single soldiers. And I became very involved with that program. I later, later became the, the battalion BOSS representative. And as part of that program, we created, we planned and created a lot of trips for soldiers right outside for drum so there was what's called thousand islands i'm sure i'm not sure if you heard of thousand islands but there's this place where they have a lot of lakes and a lot of sightseeing so we did a lot of events there we hosted a lot of um, trips there and we did a lot of what's called mountain soldiers time and mountain soldiers activities so there was always something going on for the soldiers to engage in and to feel feel a fam like a family while we away away from home and away from our own families. So in that aspect, it was it was a great experience. After you were there for four years, what did you do next? So I did my four years at at Fort Drum. One of the things which was part of my training there, I was an instructor because part of the preventive medicine job was to do a field sanitation instruction. So the water, you know, water inspection, food service facilities, um, learning about all of that. And I used to teach that. So all of the different units had to have soldiers trained whenever we get, went to the field. So that was part of the training. And as a matter of fact, that was my first time getting um, what's called a quote unquote deployment in the military back in 1998. 
I spent one month in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan doing a training, being involved in this NATO exercise training where I was able to take my skills and utilize it over there. So once I knew my um, my four years, I knew I was not going to re-enlist, re-enlist for active duty. So once I my time was going to be up, I decided that I was going to teach because I already had developed the experience as a teacher in the military. I decided to take that experience as, um, as a teacher and transition into the civilian world. So I already had my education, already had my degree. And that's when I, I signed up to be a New York City teacher. And I transitioned from Fort Drum, which is four hours upstate from, you know, four hours north of New York. And I went to New York City and I became a New York City high school teacher teaching earth science. So from active duty, I transitioned to the classroom. Literally, I a couple of days after leaving active duty, I was in the classroom teaching. But I decided that I was not going to get out of the military totally. I'm not sure if you know, but once you enlist, once you have that original contract, it's usually for eight years. The recruiters don't normally tell you that. But four years active duty and four years inactive. So instead of me going into the IAR, the inactive Red reserve, I decided to just become a reserve soldier. So I did full-time teaching, and then I was a part-time or weekend warrior, essentially. And that's what I did. You're right. They do. They're like four years active, four years inactive, but you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> exactly, right? They don't tell you the truth. Yeah, they don't tell you the truth. That's the same thing with officers. Mine was four years active and four years inactive. Four years, if you mind me asking, you did all four years in New Mexico? No, well, we did three years in New Mexico, and then I went to Ohio, and three years in Ohio. So I think so. I don't know. Somewhere around there. <laughs> Somewhere, right? You said oh, that's what matters. <laughs> six years total. I think half of it was in New Mexico, but I was in Afghanistan for a year. So, you know, that part kind of makes it all confusing. Okay. So we share, we share something in common, right? So you transitioned to being a teacher, which you had learned about how much you love teaching while being in the military. And then you were in the reserves. And so you were drilling once a month, two weeks a year. So what was that transition like? So that was, um, it was, it was an interesting transition, right? So one day I'm wearing, you know, wearing uniform, wearing camouflage and boots. The next day I'm in front of some high school kids <laughs> teaching them about rocks, right? So I was an um, earth science teacher, so teaching. It was a little challenging because here I am in Manhattan. Well, first started off in Manhattan teaching and then I transitioned to Brooklyn after. So here I am teaching New York City kids about rocks, sedimentary rocks, igneous, metamorphic rocks, <laughs> right? Uh, teaching them about geology and teaching them about the weather. And so it was tough because being in a New York City, you know, New York City environment, you don't have a lot of that, I guess, geological landscape. So it was tough teaching them about rivers and how river meander and because they can visually see that. So it was a lot of um, asking to go on field trips and being able to take them out of that environment so they can, act, you know, they can see it. So try, it did a couple of that, but it was overall challenging. I had, so I, that was back in 2001 when I started teaching and I'm actually still, still New York City teacher. I just transitioned. I'm currently on a three-year active duty tour and I'm on a leave of absence from teaching. But the piece that was challenging over the years is being able to manage civilian career 
and the military career at the same time, because even though I took off the uniform full time, I still had to wear it one weekend a month. And by the way, Amanda, it's really not one weekend a month. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) Yes, because throughout the month, there is always something going on. There's always some training you have to come complete. There's always some type of task going on. So on some occasion, that one weekend a month end up being like uh, a couple of days a month. So for me, transitioning right after in 2001, yes, it was the one weekend with the occasional couple of days here and there. But let's fast forward to 2003, right? So after 9-11, 9-11, with a lot of the mobilization taking place, I was assigned 7238 Medical Support Battalion, and that unit was activated. So here I am, I just got off active duty, you know, December or September time frame of 2001. Now I'm back on active duty from 2003, and I did a tour from 2003 to 2005. The interesting thing for me was that I did not do a overseas deployment. So it was in-country deployment. I was stationed at Fort Fort Dix, New Jersey, which at that time was one of the largest uh, mobilization platform. So a lot of the soldiers who were deploying overseas at that time, they will come through Fort Dix. And my job at that time, as again, being a preventive medicine sergeant, I was responsible for all of the medical threat briefings and all of the preventive medicine training. So I did a lot of classes prior to the soldiers going down range. So here I'm just letting him know, you know, these are the information you need to know, get there safely and come back safely. So I did that for two, two years, um, being a part of a, a great team of um, preventive medicine specialists and overall medical personnel stationed at um, Fort Dix, New Jersey, right? Taking care of soldiers and doing that whole medical readiness, soldier readiness and getting them prepared for, for the deployment, essentially. So for, I guess, for the people who don't know, right, once a soldier gets activated and mobilized, they don't just get on a plane and go overseas right away. They have to be trained. We have to make sure all of the medical readiness is in place and all of the shots are updated. So that's part of the team that I was on, making sure all of that was conducted prior to the soldiers getting on that C-17 or whatever it was to go down range to, to serve our country. I mean, I remember Fort Dix. I never went there, but I've heard the name of like people going there for deployment training. I went to Indiana to Camp Atterbury for deployment training. So Okay. And then, yeah, I'm sure you probably heard of Fort Dix because it's Fort Dix, which is actually right now, it's been changed to uh, Dix, Lakers, and Maguire, the one of the large Air Force bases there, which is uh, Maguire. So a lot of people know about Maguire prior to know before knowing about Fort Dix. So you did that for two years. You said that it was hard to balance your military career and your civilian career. So did you take a leave of absence like you're doing now from teaching for those two years and then transition back? Uh, yes. So over the years, actually, from 1997 when I joined to present day, there has been a lot of that over the years during that time. So once again, as a as a New York City teacher, which is, I have to say, New York City, I have to give credit to New York City Department of Education. They have been very supportive. New York City in general, because I've also served with a lot of uh, a lot of soldiers who are firefighters and police officers and teachers. So 
New York City in general, and I'm hoping that it's been is the same with most um, cities across the country. They've been very supportive of my deployment. So whenever a soldier gets mobilized, activated, um, what we have to do is just provide our orders um, to the Department of Education, and they'll put us in a leave of absence. So essentially, being a reservist. You don't lose your job. You get a leave of absence. You can be gone for up to five years. And once you get back, then you you go you return to your job. If it's a position, if it's a job where while you're gone, that there has been like your colleagues or other people being promoted over those, you know, over the time, whether it's one or two years while you're gone, then once you return, you're supposed to be promoted also because there cannot be any area that show that you were not treated the same way or given the same level of um employment status as the other employees. So, yeah, so that's been the situation over the years. Every time I've been activated, every time I'm on mobilized status, I am on a leave of absence from the teaching. Okay, that's interesting. So let's jump forward a little bit. And you said that when we were talking earlier that you were a direct commission. So let's talk about how you went from being enlisted to being an officer and what that process was like. So from 1997 up until 2005, I... You know, I was an enlisted soldier and it was towards the end of 2005. I said, okay, I understand and I experienced the side of enlisted, but I wanted to do, I wanted to take it to the next level. I already had my degree. And by that time, I now had earned a master's degree. So in 2003, I earned my master's degree in education. So now I have a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree. Not saying I can't stay as an enlisted soldier with a master's because there are many enlisted soldiers who have doctorates and, you know, they do great things in the military. But for me, I just wanted to also experience that side of being an officer. So I found I had to go through a career, what's called a career manager. And I contacted the career manager in the medical field. And at that time, I had to put a packet together. So once I found out that they they have the, the route to go from enlisted to direct commission, all I had to do was basically put a packet together, get all of the required documents, my transcripts, my copies of my degree, and all of the all of the required medical training, you know, a copy of your physical, you know, your physical exam, the physical training. So all of those information was put together, put a packet together, and then that packet had to be presented before board. And it was presented before the board and then pretty much give you a series of different job options. And once I presented a packet before the board, then back in 2006, so that was in 2005, then in 2006, then I found out that I was going to be commissioned and I was going to join as a second lieutenant, which is the lowest, right? Usually in some cases, some people with a degree join as a first lieutenant, but there is usually, that usually happens in certain specialty. So because I, I joined as as um, a general branch, I would say, which is um, 70 Bravo at that time, which is just a general area of concentration, then I was, you know, I had to come in as a second lieutenant. But for me, that was okay because I already experienced, I already knew what it was like to start from the bottom. And I was okay with that. So in 2006, I commissioned, I went from enlisted to an office, becoming an officer. And that was, that was, that was, I have to say, that was different because when you're an enlisted soldier, right, you pretty much salute everyone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then once you want to become a commissioned officer, now people are saluting you. So the first, maybe I'll have to say the first year, it was a little strange because, you know, I'll be around walking if, you know, if enlisted soldier and you, you're the, they come across an officer, as long as I'm not, um, there's not another officer with me that outranks me, then that enlisted soldier has to salute. And 
Amanda, honestly, there were some times where I forgot to render the salute because I was still thinking that I was, a, you know, I was a sergeant. And by the way, I actually went up to the rank of E6, a staff sergeant, before I before I did the rank commission. So yeah, so that part of becoming an officer took some time to get used to. And then once I got used to it, it's just different levels of responsibility, different levels of, I guess, honor and respect that the military has. But at the end of the day, we all soldiers, it doesn't matter if you're enlisted or you officer, we all have a job to do. And that is accomplished, you know, just basically accomplishing the mission of the army and of the units. And taking care of soldiers that's been appointed over here. So over you. So yeah, so the, the transition was a smooth one for me. And from 2006 to today, just fast forward, I went from being a second lieutenant to now being a major. As a matter of fact, February 1st, made three years since I've been uh, the rank of major. And I, I got promoted when I was deployed to Afghanistan. Good segue. I just, I was going to talk about your deployment next. So way to go on that segue. So you got promoted to major while you were deployed to Afghanistan? Yes, while well, I was deployed. So, you know, I, a lot of soldiers talk about deployment. I know a lot of people talk about the military and deployment. Amanda, when I found out in 2017 that I was going to be deployed and I was going to Afghanistan, I was a little worried. <laughs> And no, it was pretty much the time where we're doing a little bit, little bit of drawdown. We're not having a lot of, I guess, major activities. But anyone who finds out, right, they're getting ready to deploy, you you kind of get faced with that whole what if, you know. And that what if could happen anywhere. It could happen just driving down, being on the highway, just driving down on the highway. But it, it took on a different, a whole nother um, angle once I found that I was being deployed. And for me at the time, so I had a four-year-old, I'm a single parent. I have a child. She's now eight. And at the time she was four. So when I found that I was being deployed, I had one option. And the one option was basically to take her um, to Canada to be with the family. I don't want to say I had one option in the sense that I had no family support or no friend support in the United States because I was going to be gone for a year. The closest family that I had that could take care of her for that whole time frame was my sister. And my sister lives in, you know, in um, so she lives in Canada. So here I am. So I packed up my daughter and took her across the Canadian border to spend a year with my sister. So to this day, I'm very grateful for my sister for providing that opportunity for my daughter. Um, so my daughter became a little Canadian citizen for a year. Once I dropped up my daughter to Canada, it was basically it was game on because I know I had to be in the right frame of mind, the right mental state, especially for the job that I was going to get ready to go do. So I was deployed as a team. I was one of a 16-man team. We are medical advisors. And it was it was a really good job and it was a really good experience. Um, as a medical advisor, I was responsible for training and advising the Afghan leadership. My role, I was responsible for advising the Afghan National um, Hospital Commander and the National Logistics Officer, basically the one who was responsible for the logistics for the entire country, the entire Afghan police force, which entails 165,000 soldiers. So my job, here I am, <laughs> being responsible for taking care of 165,000 Afghan police, responsible for ordering, responsible for their the medical logistics, essentially. 
actually without going into depth in terms of the details. But um, that was my job for one week, one year and working at that level with the Afghan government. It was it was a great, great, great experience. It pushed me beyond my own, I guess, capabilities and on well, my definition of my capabilities. I had to do daily briefings to two and three star generals. <laughs> and you know, when you're briefing at that level, you have to know what you're talking about. You have to um, you have to be prepared. So it was um basically pushing me out of my comfort zone, but that year of deployment got me to really understand what it takes to be a leader and to be able to do a job where you can um you can pretty much provide results. And that's what I did for a year, taking care of soldiers, taking care of Afghan soldiers and providing them the needs for them to continue to be in the fight and help us to continue to fight the enemy and continue to create an environment and a world that's safe for all to live in. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about your story is that you decided to write a book about your daughter. And I know you are you have it and I have my yes. copy <laughs> right here. So can we talk a little bit about Maya, the soldier's daughter, and how it all came to be? Yes. Yeah, so um, for me, I actually got a little bit of what's called mom guilt. My daughter was four and I felt that, you know, here I am serving my country, right? And taking off and just living her with family. And so I wanted to do something to kind of give back to her, to kind of as a tribute to her and, and let her know that despite the fact that I was overseas serving, you know, serving my country, I also, um, you know, I'm also her mom and I also want her to understand that I didn't neglect her. So I wanted to tell her story from her voice, from her, um, her perspective. So this it's called Maya the Soldier's Daughter. And it's basically telling her story of her journey, what she went through while she was deployed to Canada. Um, one of the things that she experienced a lot of times when kids are left, you know, my daughter was very attached to me. She still is because it was just only the two of us in our household. She was very attached. So when I took her to Canada, she had an illness where it caused her to go to the bathroom literally every five minutes um, because she had anxiety. She was very stressed. So she dealt with that. It probably took her about two to three months to recover from that. So she had her own separation anxiety, her own separation. Um, stress. I didn't talk about that part in the book, which I do plan to talk about that in the later book. But in this book, I really t- uh, talk about her story from, from the lens of her being in a classroom, being in a different country, being in a family, and how she missed her um, her mom. And I wanted to show, you know, show that her mom is overseas serving, you know, serving our country, but I was safe. And, you know, as pretty much told by her guardian angel in the story who came to her one night and told her that your mom is safe, let me show her here she is and she's going to be back home to you safely so it's just a children's story you know as a as a tribute to my daughter for for leaving her while i was deployed to afghanistan yeah and this episode's going to go live in april which is the month of the military child so i think it's really so important that we talk about military kids and the challenges that they face because deployments are hard on the parent who has to leave but they're also really hard on the kids that are left behind and they're resilient but it's so hard for you know kids to go through that and so I think it's really cool that you talk about like really deep emotions that she felt and the struggles that she had and I liked how you put the book together so it's, it's really good 
Thank you. No, I appreciate that because one of the angles that I'm uh, I'm looking at in terms of prom- the promotion of the book, a lot of times that we, you know, we talk about deployment, but we tend to forget the families and the children. And for lack of a better phrase, right, children deploy too, right? That was Maya's. Um, so my daughter's name is Rebecca, but in the book I call her Maya. But that was Maya's only deployment. What happens to the children when the parents are deployed? What are their experiences? What do they go through? Right? They have have experiences too. They have a voice. They have stories. So we need to also start looking at employment from their lens as opposed to just looking at it from, oh, here's that soldier. Oh, she's able, to, she's been for been in for 20 something years. She's able to go to Afghanistan and take care of the war and help out in, you know, in defending the country. But let's also talk about the children and their experience. And that is why I wanted to tell Maya's story. Maya has a story to tell. She, case in point right now with my, my tour here at um, where I am now in Massachusetts. She's now here with me. And this is her fourth school as a military child being only eight. This is her fourth school she's been in. And as you, you said earlier, Amanda, that children are resilient. Yes, she is very resilient. And I'm, I'm very thankful for her resiliency. But we also have to be able to make sure they're from, the, you know, they're mentally strong also to go through what we go through. Because, you know, we just pick them up and say, OK, let's go. Mommy's going to Massachusetts now. Oh, bye. I'll see you in two months. Mommy's good away. But we have to all make sure that their voice is heard. And that's one of the reasons why I tell Maya the soldier's daughter's story. Yeah, that's so important. And did you talk to her specifically to come up with ideas for the book? Oh my goodness. Yes. A lot of the information in the book, she actually helped write. There is even down to picking out her outfits <laughs> in the book. At the very end, what is really um, cute that I like to share, at the very end of the book, um, there is a song. And this is so the lyrics to the song is there. And this is, a, this is a song that I've been singing to her since she was one, you know, one year old. And that is always song. So for me, you look at it, it pretty much says, right? I love you. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I love you. I love you so much. And that's basically how I feel about her. And I wanted to let her know that despite the fact that I love the military and I serve the military, I'm serving in the military, you also all loved. And here, I want you to, you know, I want you to be a part of that experience. So I want you to share that and, and incorporate and put your own touch on the book. So a lot of the information that's in here. It's inspiration from her. For example, she, if you notice like her pajamas in the book that she's wearing, she loves penguin. Her favorite stuffed animal is a penguin. And she wanted to make sure penguin found its way somewhere in the book. And that's how she ended up with having a pajamas with a penguin on. And also she wanted to have some of her friends in the book. So the children in the classroom, some of her friends, you know, from some previous school and from church, they're all, um, you know, merged as part of the story. That is why I tell Maya's story. And that is why, you know, I'm a storyteller and I enjoy writing because um, I just want to be able to write and be able to lend a voice to a lot of people who want to do the same thing and just feel like, well, you know, they're afraid to do it. But I want to be able to share that and let people know that writing can be therapeutic and it's important to share your story because everyone has a story to tell. Yeah. And I also know that you are doing a run walk event to honor the 12 military members who died while you were in Afghanistan, right? 
Yeah. Amanda, so for me, I was always deployed as an individual augmentee. That basically means my unit was not mobilized. I was not deployed in my unit. I was the army snatched me up individually and said, you know what? I need you to go over there and do this job. So I was there so with people from all across the country. But what I decided to do upon returning from home was I wanted to honor the soldiers that were lost while I was serving boots on ground. So I arrived in, in Afghanistan. I got there. So my deployment was from April to May from 2017 to 2018. I didn't lose anyone from my team, but every time a soldier was lost, we had what's called blackout. And just imagine sitting in your barracks room, right? Your little solace, your little um, entertainment is being on the phone, like on a weekend, watching a movie on your iPad or, you know, whatever it is you do on your phone. And all of a sudden, it's just total blackness, right? It's total dark. Anytime you have what's called blackout, that means we lost the soldier. And I experienced blackout several times. And there were 12 soldiers that were never able to make it back to their families. So I wanted to do something to honor those soldiers. I was lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. I made it back safely on American soil and able to walk around. Those 12 did not. So in 2019, I started a run walk event. And that race is to honor the 12 soldiers that died. My goal is to create a foundation in honor of those soldiers. I, so it's going to be, I do an annual race. And so, for example, the first year I did the event, I raised funds and I donated it to the Green Beret Foundation because the last soldier who died was from who was a Green Beret from my home state, New Jersey. And I wanted to do that, donated to uh, in his honor. But every year as I do the race, I want to raise funds. And the ultimate goal is to create a scholarship in honor of the um, children of the fallen soldiers. And that is the plan, Amanda, right? So it's all about giving back. I was able to come back safely. I'm still in the military. I'm still enjoying the benefits of the military, the ability to lead and take care of soldiers, you know, as a, as an officer. And I think it's very important that we give back. I don't need to just wait for society, for civilians to take care of our soldiers and say, oh, let's just have, you know, the civilian population honor our soldiers. I'm a veteran. I, as a veteran, can turn around and honor our fallen soldiers. And that is the goal with this foundation I'm working on is to honor the soldier, to create a circle. What I'm doing is just creating a circle around those 12 um, fallen. And eventually I want to write a book, a children's book about those soldiers. Once I'm able to get in contact with their families and get the permission, I want to write a story, a children's story about them, those soldiers. So in that way I can share their story. And, you know, so we, we want to be able to create a face, right? Create, um, give them a voice, lend a voice to the fallen soldiers, make them come alive and have um, people understand what soldiers go through, what happened, what's the sacrifice that we pay that we, um, you know, so everyone can continue to experience and enjoy the freedom of this great country. And in the very beginning, I started Amanda and I said that for me, being joining the military is an American dream. And for me, Amanda, I have to say it's truly the American dream. I came from a small island in the Caribbean, Grenada. I was raised you know, raised in poverty and being in the military, being in America, being part of this great country and this great military has opened up so many doors for me and given me so many great opportunities. 
I would like for people to know that. So the military is not necessarily a taboo. It's a place like, oh my God, why are you joining the military? It's only for for dropouts or for kids who don't know what they want to do. No, the military establishes, it helps you to develop and become a leader. It helps you to develop your voice, to understand your voice and, and share that experience with others. I made so many, I've met so many great friends in the military over the 23 years that I've been in, it just helped me to become resilient and to appreciate life and appreciate everything, everything I do. And just being able to go outside and run, being able to go outside and take a deep breath and enjoy that fresh air. It just helps me to just become a more well-rounded individual. So I think that's something, if I had a choice, I think everyone should serve two years in the military to be able to get that experience and be able to have um, great conversations with veterans like yourself and, you know, participate in great, you know, great programs like the ones you, you're presenting here, Amanda. Yeah, and you just answered my last question, which was what advice would you give to people considering the military service? And it sounds like you highly recommend it and it's opened so many doors for you. And, and we also need to mention that you also have written two other books. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put links to all your books. You can say the titles if you want of your other two books, but I'll put links in the show notes to both to all three of your books and then also to the run walk event so that if people want to find it, they'll be able to find it really quickly. But can you talk about uh, both of these buzzan and the witty words? Yes. I always enjoyed writing. That was for me, that was my, um, my, my solace, my go-to. And the wise and witty words for your life journey, it's inspirational words to help measure your life and keep you on track. It's basically, um, it's 102 different quotations that I coined on, pretty much came up with on my own. It was inspired by a lot of previous quotations. But what I'm going to do is be able to give people a life. For me, you know, what I believe I mentioned it in the beginning, I was always an introvert, always quiet. I didn't do a lot of social interaction. But what kept me going was words, was just reading, whether it's just a poem or just quote, you know, just quotes or just books. I always enjoyed reading. So I wanted to be, wanted the opportunity to be able to share words, inspirational words to help someone. Because for me, words is what's helped me through a lot of difficult times in my life. So these are all different quotations. Um, for example, here it says, to energize your, energize your life, you must charge your soul. It is better to get some fresh air on the first floor than to suffocate in the basement. So just words is really what helps me going. I wanted to share that. So this is about self-help and just motivation. And the tale of Bozana to travel and be, this is going to be a series. This is the first of I actually just completed part two, so I'm working on the illustration right now. And what's interesting about this book is this is based on a true story. It was just a little accident that happened one day where I commuted. I lived in Jersey and commuted to New York City to work. And I took the bus. I'll take the bus to go to work on a daily basis. And one day, as I was getting on the bus, there was a bee that got on the bus also. And so halfway through the ride on the way to New York City, this bee was just being a nuisance and just scaring a lot of people on the bus and everybody was like oh my goodness let's get the bee off the bus and literally that's what happened people were like open the windows let's get the bee off the bus so I took that experience on the bus and it turned it into a children's story the tale of Bazana the traveling bee and the goal is to take Bazana and have Bazana travel to different countries there's going to be a part of Afghanistan also so Bazana is going to be a bee traveling to Afghanistan and 
And yeah, so that, that's how Bazanda the Traveling Bee was um, was born. Um, so yeah, I, I those all those books are available on Amazon and um, also can be available on my website, which is my name, KathyAnnAlexander.com. But you also asked me, Amanda, and I know um, you wanted to say what, what um, advice I will give to anyone joining the military. I'll say go with your heart. Um, for me, after I joined, I detached myself from friends and family because a lot, a lot of people told me, well, you made, you made a mistake. Why did you join the military? That's not something you wanted to do. Go with your heart. If that's what you want, go with it. The military has been a great place for me. It has given me the opportunity to learn a lot and meet many great people and go many different places. I mean, I got to go to Uzbekistan, to Kazakhstan, Thailand, Afghanistan, even though most people might not think it's a vacation, Kuwait. And just the rich experience, I think everyone should be able to get that opportunity. So yes, there are a lot of difficult parts to the military. I don't want to make it seem like a bed of roses. The training is challenging for some people who might not necessarily like the physical aspect of it, but it helps to build resiliency. It helps to, you know, to best create motivation and helps to inspire you and just make you become a, a more well-rounded individual. So if anyone has the, the opportunity to join the military, I definitely, I would definitely encourage it. So if anyone wants to know anything more about the military, deciding, you know, trying to decide whether or not you should join, feel free to reach out to me. I'll, you know, I'll be able to provide some additional information and, you know, my own personal share, some of more my own personal experience of what I've gathered and learned from the military um, over my 23 years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 24 years come, come November. It's going to be 24, October. And I just launched a YouTube channel, uh, Girl's Guide to the Military. So there's videos on there to help you in your decision-making process. The first three are all focused around deciding if you should join the military. So I'll link to that too, in case people want to check it out. And thank you so much for sharing your story, for writing your books and just showing your heart. I love how you're giving back to the community and giving back to others. It's just, it's really inspiring. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate what you are doing also. It's very, very important that military women voices are heard. So thank you and thank you for your service to this great country. Appreciate it. to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.